Welcome to The Refuge Project. The Refuge Project is a place we can have meaningful conversation in a safe place. I am your host, Pastor David. I am solo today. We got part two of Brother Calvin Inman uh, coming up right for you next. And I'm super excited, man. We've had lots of feedback. Um, Brother Calvin's trending to number one as far as our podcast goes. We're getting some really good feedback from all over the world, and uh, just what a, a blessing it has been to have him in the studio with us last week. Um, podcast went three hours, so it was one of those good podcasts, and so we decided to break it up to a, a couple weeks for you guys, and um, so we're just really looking forward to the uh, second part of this, but before we get started, we got a song for you today. This is Lucky Luciano. You call me your beloved one, yeah I'm swimming in the river of your pleasure You call me your beloved child, yeah Embracing the spirit that you left us You came to take my guilt, you take my fear And I'm gonna lift my hands cause you're right here Tell me where can I go when you're the one That breathes life into my soul, you fill me up Lord, you call me over love. I know God got me, I got faith and I believe Walking in obedience gon' bring me all I need I wanna praise you, look at God showing favor He done set a table for me right in front of all my haters Purified my soul, ain't chasing after no money, huh? Got the key to the kingdom, now I'm a child of God, the beloved one I give him glory, he deserve it, he the king I can feel these demons trembling when I mention Jesus' name what they talking about ain't rapping, I spit sermons I can see now with discernment, it ain't about the bread I'm earning I went through hardships, struggled in that darkness Enemies still pop up, wanna stagnate my process But I've been sanctified, moving around in harmony Covered now by the blood of Christ, it ain't no way they harming me I got my shield up, I'm stepping out in armor Known as his beloved one, and man, I feel so honored that was Lucky Luciano and Young Bro. If you don't know about Uncle Luck, Uncle Luck's been a, kind of a legend here in H-Town for a long time on the secular scene. And um, I guess about a year and a half, two years ago, the Lord just really started working on his heart. <clears throat> Excuse me, working on his heart and uh, changed his life. And now he's serving the Lord and uh, being the father that God has called him to be, being the man, the leader. Uh, that God has called him to be. It's, it's actually a, a beautiful, beautiful story. Uh, Luciano TV on uh, on YouTube. Uh, just don't go back too far. Don't go back maybe uh, less than a year back, and uh, you can just see that what God is doing in his life and his family's life. Um, you know, he had all of what the world would offer, the cars, the money, the 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 uh, you know the status, traveling, doing music. And uh, now he's doing it for the kingdom. Uh, so beautiful story. Uncle Luck, if you're out there and you're listening to this, uh, man, just keep it up. Keep the people around you that's lifting you up and keep you on the track. I know you got some great people around you. Um, so, yeah, so a great, great story with uh, uh, Lucky Luciano. 
uh, and a good song, man. So uh, appreciate you out there doing it. Y'all go pick his, his new album up called Christian Album. I believe his uh, his his government name is Christian, so he he uh, kind of got two little meetings off of that. So, man, I tell you what, uh, great great uh, uh, podcast last week. Like I was said in the intro, uh, Brother Calvin just came in. He was just really talking last last week about. Uh, how he grew up, you know, it was uh, South Houston, Pasadena. Uh, he grew up um, single family home, started getting into some trouble in, in junior high. Um, then, you know, just a path of self-destruction from there, you know, started uh, using drugs and alcohol at an early age, uh, robbing, stealing, strong arming. Then he found himself... Really just, um, I guess, and just in, in a situation where he's really strung out on drugs and LSD and many other things and ended up killing a, um, a gentleman and how God had just really changed his heart and uh, started working on him at that moment that he he, he didn't even realize, right? And um, through some just different things, if you haven't heard the, the first podcast, I definitely I suggest you go back and look, but he uh, ended up coming here to Elam Church and uh, through one of our outreaches that we had done, the glory and the fire, he ended up getting saved. Um, entered ministry, became youth pastor, still had these skeletons in his closet, and then um, as he was dealing with these skeletons in his closet, the Lord just says, hey, if you want these young people to do right, uh, you need to do the right thing. And he ended up turning himself in and they charged him with capital murder. And that's kind of really where uh, we left off last week. And he was just telling us, like, the death penalty wasn't on the table because he was a minor. But uh, I'll tell you what, the second part of the story is just so amazing how God just really changed this young man's heart, changed his mindset, gave him a heart for people, gave him a heart for the lost, and uh, really changed the trajectory of so many people in his pathway from before was all destruction, and then now he was just pointing people to the cross. So sit back, get ready for part two with Brother Calvin Inman. So the, the death penalty was never on the table because I was a minor at the time. So a capital charge in 1994 meant that I would have had to do 40 flat years 40 years day for day and before you're eligible for parole. Um, the death sentence was not on the table. So it, it, it was a capital or we could try to get something lesser. You know, that was basically how it was. You know, I was hoping they wouldn't, you know, the capital that's, and that's super duper. You know, you don't get no more super duper. Than That's a that. life sentence at, at, when you're 30 years old. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was at the time, I think, 29 and uh, 40 years day for day. You know, I'd been 69 before I was even eligible for. Parole. You definitely wouldn't have heard of Akon. I mean, no, no Akon. No, no nothing. You know, <laughs> what's a smartphone? You know, I mean, yeah. podcast. What is that? Uh, man, I met some guys in there that. You know what's a uh, uh, what's a Star Wars? No, I he, I got there, and uh, I got I finally got to my unit, and 
this guy comes up, uh, older Mexican guy. He says, uh, hey, man, you want a shot of coffee? He sees me read my word. He's a Christian. And I said, no, buddy, I don't drink coffee, not even Starbucks. And he kind of shakes his head and he goes, what's a Starbucks? And I said, <laughs> I said, how long have you been here? And he said, oh, about 30 years. Wow. I said, uh, okay. There's some <laughs> yeah. people been so here a minute. Some coffee. <laughs> and so, All right, so. Wow. So you turn yourself in, litigation starts, your lawyer starts going back and forth um, just for just a matter of time. You have a dream. Wait, wait, real quick, real quick, because I'm, I'm the I'm definitely the outsider in this story. OK, right. But at that time, has has that information become known to the church yet? So I when I stepped down from youth ministry, it was understood that I stepped down for something I did when I was a kid. But we had not publicly declared what it was, but that I needed to turn myself in. And I was hiring an attorney and we were going through that process. And it soon, soonly hit every news station, you know, broadcasted newspapers, all that stuff. So that it gets there. So whenever that happened, I wasn't in Elam. I was in my other church whenever that media storm came. And, uh, and you were talking about judgy looks earlier, right? Yeah, it wasn't a good look because yeah. I didn't know anything about Elam. I was uh, yeah. I, I was not in there, and right. what I heard, youth pastor, this and that, big churches, Elam Church uh, condones yeah. youth pa- uh, youth yeah. pastors murder or something like that, that. Yeah, that's what I heard. I was just barely starting out, but yeah. that story I heard for sure. So yeah. so let me let me let me tell you how amazing God is and. Uh, so I'm going through processing, right? I'm I'm in Harris County, and I finally make it up to my 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 tank. And these guys, when I got there, the officer says, "You know, it's late, man." He says, "Uh, oh, oh, he's going to the knucklehead tank." And I'm like, "Oh, great, here yeah. we go." You know, you know, I'm I'm 29 years old. I'm I'm I've been out of the game so long. I probably hurt myself if I hit somebody. You know what I mean? <laughs> So I walk in the door, and what he meant was these guys had gotten in trouble so often that they had the TV removed, okay? Now, I go into this tank, and, you know, everybody's in there. I start getting visits from my attorney, from my pastors, from, you know, and I remember, so this was on Wednesday night, Thursday morning. I'm, I'm, I'm in the tank. By Saturday, I'm getting visits like, prior to visit, you know, and, and I hear one of the guys say, man, he's snitching on somebody, you know, you, you getting all these visits, something's going on. You talking to somebody and I walk out of the tank and I'm like, man, that's the last thing I need is that label on me, man. I came, that will follow you all the way to prison. Oh, it will. It will. And so I, I walked, I did my visitation. I can't remember who it was. And then I came back to the tank and that same guy, that same guy looks at me and he goes, there he is. Hey, man, you made the front page. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, here you are right here. And I'm looking. It says, uh, youth pastor confesses the 14-year-old murder. And I'm like, oh, my God. It was right next to Chuck Rosenberg, who had been who had been uh, caught. He was the, the Galveston chief. Galveston guy, right? No, no he no. was the chief. DA in Harris County and he had been trying all these capital murder cases under the influence of prescription drugs oh. 
And yes. man, he there was a big old scandal with him, and I was right next to him. There's my mugshot right there. It wasn't there. a very good mugshot. And I'm like, either, it wasn't. You look stressed <laughs> out. <laughs> I, can't, I can't imagine why. I thought, was, I, thought you, I thought Christian was supposed to have a piece of Jesus on him. Man, What's wrong with you? was all messed up and everything. So why did you bond out at that time? So at that time, I hadn't even received a bond. Right. Because I was a minor, they were still trying to process me into adult court. And, uh, you know, I wasn't a minor at the time I was in jail, but because the case happened when I was a minor, they had to go through the, the, the juvenile court system and process me, you know, certify me as an adult. Obviously, I was. And then move me right into adult court. Once I got into adult court, uh, the elections were coming up in November, and this was in August. And uh, the DA was in a big hurry the DA that was over my case, he was in a big hurry to set this thing for trial and prosecute, you know, and uh, if I wasn't going to sign for time, he offered me 30 years. And um, and that was a good deal for him. Yeah, he, he was like, look, I'm going to tell for anybody. His way of thinking was I don't make deals. You know, I respect what you did. Here's my deal. This is my respect to you. That's it. That's all you're going to get from me. He said, uh, actually, his words were, uh, take the 30 and you'll be out in 15. And I said, look, man, this is a high risk environment. You can't promise me I'll be out in 15. And he said, you'll be out in 15. I said, well, if you're so confident of that, why don't you give me 15? And he said, no, because you'll be out in seven and I'm not going to have that. That's, that was his words. Now, I asked to see him, and he was gracious enough to come, you know, come out into the tank where, you know how it is, they got you shackled up, you mm -hmm. know. You get to talk to the attorney, but you don't get to talk to nobody else. Mm -hmm. He was gracious enough, and he stood over me, lorded it over me, Captain Morgan over me. I mean, the whole <laughs> foot up, junk in my face. I'm like, mm -hmm. dude, I feel like, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm really being ramrodded here, but, <laughs> you know at that point in time, he gave me two weeks to consider his offer. And I was like, dang, man, you're giving me two weeks to make a decision about the rest of my life. Man, that's, that just doesn't seem right. Man, I was, um, I was shaking. I'm telling you, I stepped out in faith and I was shaking to my core. And uh, I went back to that tank and I'm thinking, did I really hear from God? <laughs> Is this really God that's that's done this, or did I just did I just jump out the boat? And uh, you know, it's scary, man. Right. You know, stepping out in faith on something like that. You know, it's 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 easy to step out in faith. You know, to say, you know, well, God wants us to to do a fundraiser. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It, there's no price to pay, but when it's gonna hurt, you know mm -hmm. it. It's, it's going to hurt. Right. And so. They set bond. Not yet. So when we were there, I was. Uh, I was in prayer one day during that two week period, and I heard God tell me it's going to be OK. And I said, well, God, I don't know what that means, but I'm going to trust you with it. So Johnny came to visit me the day before um, we were going to court. And uh, I said, well, what is it? 
He said, 30 years, or we go to trial. And I said, look, Johnny, last night God told me it was going to be okay. I said, I don't know what that means, but I know that that is not okay. And this is what's important when we talk about Johnny being a man of God. Because when Calvin speaks to him that says, my God says this, mm-hmm. there's not another man on the other side going, no, no, no. Let me tell you, this is what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. He heard Calvin. He heard God's voice. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That was the importance of him having Johnny on the other side. Anyways, yeah, Johnny really, you know, he was he was conflicted for sure. Because he's like, look, you know, if you want to do this, we can do this. I'm going to ride with you. But just know that here's the risk. And uh, I, that's what I told him, Johnny, that that 30 years, that's not okay. You know, whatever okay is, I know that ain't it. And so he said, okay. So we set it for, for trial. And, and my thought was, you know, and, and maybe this is the carnal mind thinking, but my thought was, and I'm just being honest here. My thought was we could go to trial. There's going to be a conviction, obviously. Uh, I would probably beat the Capitol. And then that would give me an opportunity at sentencing to bring my family, my youth group, you know, my church family, my brothers and sisters that have truly seen the genuine redemption of God in my life. And, and you know, for, for a jury to be able to see that and then make a decision on the sentencing, you know. And, and my thought process was you're only risking five years, right? Because if you got 40 he was only going to do five more. You know what I'm saying? That if you got 30, he was going to do 15. If you got 40, right. he was going to do 20. Right. I mean, at this point, at this point, 30 and 40 look the same. Yeah. You know, that far down the road to me, I'm assuming that it's max all the way. Yeah. You know, it I'm was not worth the risk at that point. I'm not assuming 15. Right. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't even think about no 15. I'm looking at 30 or 40. And at that far down the road, they all look alike, you know? And so. For me, it was, I felt like we could beat the Capitol and then a jury would have a chance to see that I'm not a menace to society, you know, that there has been a genuine change. Does that negate the the crime? No. Does that mean that there's no punishment? No. That's not what I'm what I thought. But I felt like I had a greater chance with a jury to be able to get a lesser sentence. Um mm-hmm. uh, and so we set it for trial. And when we set it for trial, the DA, the judge set it for February. The November elections were coming up. The DA was like, hey, let's scoot it up to October, September. You know, he wanted to do this. He didn't want to take the chance on getting kicked out of the court, you know, because there was a big shakeup coming because of that whole Chuck Rosenthal, Rosenberg thing where he, man, he messed up big time. And, uh, so there was a big shakeup coming in Harris County District Attorney's Office. We we bonded out. Pastor Ron was there. That was the only court date that he he was he made it to, but it was a big one. And so when the judge asked if I even had a job, you know, could I provide a job or something, he stood right up and he said, "Yes, sir, Your Honor. He does have a job." The 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 court put a severe curfew restriction on me 
And he said, Your Honor, our services are, he's our sound man and our maintenance guy. Our services go from this time to this time, you know, can you amend that? And so he did. It was, you know, my restrictions were really lax. I was able to go to Wednesday night, Sunday night services. Uh, I bonded out, was out on bond for two years, you know, going to court every few months. Uh, the elections happened. Um, uh, I can't remember. Pat Likas is now the, the district attorney. And all the courts are getting shaken up. Everything's getting turned over. My judge, the judge that, that gave me the bond, he's out. He's uh He didn't get reelected. I got a new judge. And so the process started over where I was scheduled to go to trial in February. They reset it. Let's renegotiate. Uh, the guy said, well, let's let's do 25. And I said, no. And he said, OK. And a month later, let's do 20. He said, he said, no. You know, and I'm thinking, OK, well, how, how many times can I, I say mean, no? Let's let's get it all the way down to like three. OK, and, <laughs> you know, I, as as I know, my expectations were unrealistic, you know, but I'm going to do everything I can to get as low as I can before there's a severe problem. And uh, I ended up with a brand new D.A. after everything was said and done. All the other D.A.s for the three months after that were it was in and out, in and out, because the whole regime change was was taking everybody out. So I ended up with this district attorney. His name was uh, Spence Graham. And uh, we began negotiations with him. And he started fresh. He started, you know, dealing with the family. And, and uh, he offered 20. We said no. Uh, he offered 15. And I, he said, look, it's either 15 or we go to trial. And I said... Uh, and, and and before before you say that the family had a huge role into this because they could have stepped in at any time and said no we want maximum for this and the DA would have looked at this this whole process different yeah they uh they said they didn't want anything to do with it and uh they they were just moving on with their life mm. uh, in the meantime of all that now this I was out on bond for 2 years so by the time we got to the 15 mark it was um, June of 2010, I think, and and uh, so let me let me back up here because I I definitely want to share. There's so many aspects to this testimony. I just can't even focus on them all. So when I was in Harris County, Pastor Mark would come to see me. Pastor Ron would come to see me. A few other people would come to see me, and uh, I would tell them all that I, that God had told me he was going to give me a son and um pastor mark thought i'd been drinking the water <laughs> some of that hooch yeah, he, yeah. he really did he was like you know he's like okay you know and you know at visitation it's like okay you know i i come out and it's like okay okay you can knock it off now you know it, it wasn't that serious but but when uh it was almost like one of those things like he was grasping for straws that yeah. people felt like, you right. know, yeah. Oh, he, you know, he still thinks he's going to get out. Poor little soul grasping <laughs> for straws. I don't, you know, just let him hold on to that, you yeah. know, type of, type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, Daniel was the same way. Daniel Wilbrick and I was my boy. So when, uh, Shelly tells me one day, she said, you know, I don't feel well. And I said, uh, I said, you're probably pregnant. 
You know, now now some time had gone on. You know what I mean? Like the the seed had been planted, the seed had been watering, it was growing in faith, but it was never something we completely let go, but it wasn't something that was like immediate. You know what I'm saying? And so she tells me one day, oh, I feel a little nauseous or something. And I said, well, you're probably pregnant. And she's like, no, you think? And I said, well, and so later on that day, she shows up and she's got two pregnancy tests. Both of them are positive. And, and then we go to the to the OBGYN and and <laughs> this is great right here. Right. So we go to the we go to the doctor. He's doing the ultrasound and he says, uh, you want to know the sex? And I said, well, we already know. And he says, 80% pink, right? And and <laughs> Shelly's laying there, and she goes, she goes, what? <laughs> a girl? And, and he goes, but don't go out and paint the room or anything, because things can still change. It's still early. Don't go out and paint the room. And so she's like. That's the worst 80% I've ever seen. <laughs> That's like a weatherman. <laughs> <laughs> and so he says, uh, 80% pink. And so, you know, she, uh. She said, well, what do you think that means? I said, well, look, God promised us a son. So if there's a girl, that just means there's more to come. Okay. You know, that's just all there is to it. And she goes out and she calls Blanche and she says, it's a girl. It's a girl. And so everybody starts buying all this girl stuff, right? We go to the doctor two weeks later, you know, and the doctor goes, oh, well, looks like something's changed here. And <laughs> Shelly's already come, you know, to the mindset that she's having a girl. And and the doctor goes, looks like we have a boy. And she says, what? A boy? <laughs> I said, uh, told you not to paint the room. Man. Golly. And uh, weather changed. You know, what's funny is, is afterward, <laughs> afterward, many people, many, many people came to me and said, uh, you know, we we just didn't understand that, you know. Daniel Daniel told me one time. He said, "Man, I thought you were uh, you just gone crazy or something," you know. And Pastor Mark said, "I mean, everybody was just in awe of what God had done, and I'm still in awe, you know. My my son is uh, man, I love him to death. He's he's the greatest. He can uh, he can wear me out sometimes, but he's he's the greatest. So." I definitely don't want to glaze over that. No, that was a beautiful story. My, uh, I set him up on that story 30 minutes ago, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> you did. I'm telling you, this testimony has been 30 years in the making. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah sure. We, we're, we're, we're not hurrying you. We're, we're going to make this a two-parter. I'm yeah. telling you, we might put it behind a paywall. Yeah, let's go. So. She's pregnant. You got your boy on the way. He is on the way. He's He's doing great. You know, he's born. I love him to death, you know. I, I just can't get enough of this little guy. You're still out on bond. I am out on bond. This is all within that two-year bond moment. And this is December. He's born. So the following year, 2010, he was born in 2010, things are getting hairy. Things are getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And um, in June, the DA says... Uh, 15 or we go to trial and i said well let's go to trial and uh he says okay but i want to put it on record that uh that i've offered you this right that's and this is all coming from johnny i've not talked to the da yet and so i'm looking at this district attorney as like us against him you know and uh so i'm standing before the court 
they had just had a capital murder trial go on like the week before or that week. It was a Friday. I'm standing before the court and uh, the district attorney is to my right. My lawyer is to my left. And I've been told to just look at the judge. Right. That's what Johnny said. Look, just focus on the judge. Don't. And as the district attorney is reading all these things, I, uh, you know, this admonishment of, look, Mr. Inman came forward. Da, da, da. Actually, he kind of glazed over that until the, the, the judge said, do what now? He says, uh, well, how did you come about his statement? You know, that kind of thing. Well, Mr. Inman came forward and turned himself in. And that's when the judge is like, okay, what? But I, I said to myself, you know, I need to see this DA. I need him to see me. I want him to see my face. And that's what I, I so I just turned and I just began to look at him. And uh, I'm looking at him and I realized that this man is not my enemy. He's not out there to get me. As a matter of fact, he doesn't want to go to trial. I mean, I'm looking at him and I'm seeing all this and it's clear as day to me that he doesn't want to go to trial, not because he thinks he's going to lose, but because he's going to win. And uh, I said right then, the judge said, look, Mr. Inman, we just had a capital murder trial in here this week. I had to look at the guy and tell him that he had life without parole. And, uh, you know, go talk to your attorney. And Johnny says, I have talked to Mr. Inman. He says, <laughs> uh, he says, I have talked to him repeatedly. And the judge says, look, I don't care. Go in the back and talk to your attorney. I mean, he just stopped everything. I'm telling you, listen, when I was in this court, I've been in this court for two years, month after month after month. You're, there's always murmuring. There's always talking. There's always something going on. Right. Because you're not the only one in the court. No, yeah. no. There's, there's a cases yeah. lined up listening to everything that's going on in your case. And you're listening what's going on in their case. Yeah. And yeah. so I'm, I'm sitting at the front of the court now and there is silence. I mean, everybody has stopped talking and everybody is just listening to what is going on. And uh, the judge says, I don't care what's going on. You need to go talk to your client. And he sends us to the back, right? Actually, he says, Johnny says, Johnny looks at me. He says, are you ready? And I looked to my, to my wife and I said, I need to go talk to my wife. Because at this point, I realized that I'm making a huge mistake. That uh, this guy is going to win. I'm going to be in trouble. And 15 years is a gift, you know, and I need to. So I, I go to the back. And Shelly said she knew as soon as I looked at her that things had changed. I walked to the back, and we're standing in the back of the court behind behind the door, okay? And uh, this gangster comes out from the court, right? He comes out, and he says, uh, hey, look, man, I ain't trying to get in your business or nothing, but uh, my cousin just got locked up for capital murder, man. He ain't ever coming home. You need to think about it. And then he leaves. He didn't even go back into the court. Right after the gangster, right, this little bitty old lady comes over, little bitty old black lady, sweetest lady ever. She comes over, and she just comes outside, and she you know, almost gives me a hug and says, son, 
everything's going to be all right. Mm. And I said, I'm looking at Shelly. And it's confirmation over months and months, months and months ago years. When you were sitting in the cell, God mm. telling you everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be okay. And uh, Johnny comes back there and he says, are you ready? I said, I want to talk to the, to the district attorney. I want to talk to him. And he says, look, he's really busy. He's not going to want to come back here and talk to you. I said, look, you go over there and you tell him I want to talk to him. And he said, okay. Johnny's so awesome. And if I could just meet Johnny. Johnny was great. Man, man he looked like he was straight mafia a little mm-hmm. man. Pizzatola. Yeah. yeah whenever you said his last name, I'm like, oh, he, like mafia. He, he looked like he was mafia, but he was, and he was genuine. And, a gentleman. Uh, too, a gentleman. He's great. So I, uh, I'm i sitting there, and I'm watching Johnny. I, I'm reading Johnny's lips. His his front is to me. The DA's back is to me. And uh, I'm reading Johnny's lips, and, and Johnny says, he says, uh, look, he's considering your offer, but he wants to talk to you. And Spence says, okay, no problem. Just like that. And uh, I'll be out in just a minute. And Johnny comes walking back with like this look on his face like, and I don't know what's going on around This does here. never happen. And so we go into the little conference room, and, uh, you know, I talk to the DA, like, genuinely, you know. I show him a picture of my son, and I said, look, at this time, he was, you know, six months old or something. I said, you know, that baby right there is a miracle. You know, she was told she was never going to have children, and God gave us that boy, and, you know, this and this and this, and, and uh you know, we just began to talk. He said he would go back and see what he could do. And, uh, you know, a couple months later or a month later, he said, look, my boss will not let me do anything else. This is what we have to work with. And I said, okay, that's it. I'll sign for time. Can you get me to the end of August? Because that's when my bond is up. And he said, sure. Wow. And so... August came. I know it was August the 6th. It was the day before my 11th anniversary. Mm. And uh, and they took me into custody. And uh, on a 15-year sentence, I signed for time. Uh, the court was packed, packed out with, with family, church family. And, uh, you know, from there, I, I got into the holding cell, and I thought to myself, you know, Okay, well let's just let's get it started, you know. Let's just finish it up. And that began the, the prison journey, and maybe that's for episode two. No, I think we have a t- two episodes right here. <laughs> um so you spent the next seven and a half years. Yeah, I spent almost eight flat years in prison and uh man God did some amazing things. Uh I spent two years in Huntsville on the holiday unit. I spent uh, the rest of my time on the Wayne Scott unit in uh, uh, Angleton. Wayne Scott. I've been on love Wayne Scott, but it was so much better than Huntsville. Oh, it was. It was. It was a lot more laid back, a lot more older. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. It's still prison. It can yeah. still get crazy and crunked up. I mean, people just, you know, that environment is just not the best. Okay, no right. matter where you're at, but. Um, Man, I met some really good people, you know, people who have made some very dumb decisions, even some of the smartest people, mm. you know, uh, 
and and they've paid for it with with their life you know and uh i met some good christians man i met i met guys in the mexican mafia that uh you know got saved after 12 years in seg you know that that the chaplain kept going and going and going and and finally just accepted the lord that same guy who didn't know what starbucks was you know we we're doing bible study one time and and i made a comment about uh about luke skywalker and and it was the same blank stare that you got when you when you mentioned Acorn or whatever his name is, Acoin or <laughs> And so I, I I'm he's like, Who's that? I said, you know, Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, Obi Wan Kenobi. Nothing. Nothing. No recognition. What's this thought? And I'm word? like, Oh What's my God, bro, you you had just been in prison way too long. And uh, he was actually still there when uh when I left. Uh that's a whole nother testimony man gods yeah so just to wrap this thing up man uh you got to go to college while you're there you studied you studied you studied the um yeah i got an associates in in biblical studies was going for my uh my bachelor's in youth ministry and uh god just man really grew my my heart for him my heart with him my walk with him uh you know i i I've met some people that I'm still in contact with, you know, good quality Christian men and women, you know, you know, society kind of gives up on the penitentiary, you know, but I'm telling you right now, God is alive and well, and he is working on men and women in the penitentiary system and lives are being changed, like drastically changed. Like when I stood, you don't go to the penitentiary and have to convince them guys that they've done something wrong. Mm hmm. They know it, you know, they know it. And when you present them with the gospel, when the seed is right there in front of them, you know, it, it's 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 evident. It's only up that the Holy Spirit and then, you know, the Holy Spirit draw them and that they respond to it because God is moving. You know, God is doing amazing things in the prison system. Yeah. yeah. So you did that. You found the Lord showed you that you were an artist, that you didn't really explore a whole lot when you was out here. Yeah. Um, so you come home, right? I think this is probably the one of the, my favorite parts of the story. Just tell us real quick about how God just began to put your whole life back together. So I, my, my parole process was very, very quick. It was really like... It's only God quick kind of thing, you know. God said, I'll give you 15. We're going to do whatever you have to do. And I'm going to bring you home. And that's what he did. So in in the early part of that 15, man, I felt God tell me at one point in time that it would be sooner than you realize or something like that. And and I, I held on to that because I'm like, I'm like, God, I can realize like tomorrow, you know, golly, can we do this before chow? I can get home. Right. I mean, God, I can really have an imagination. So I go, you know, Harvey kind of messes up the whole parole thing, uh, the meeting. But, you know, I, I ended up with a with a really good parole attorney and he put together a packet and got my family a meeting. And, you know, Shelly had put together a petition, you know, like twelve hundred signatures you know, and, and it was just really amazing. It was just this this God thing. And, and when they went to the meeting, uh, my son was there, Brandon. Uh, I think Pastor Mark was there. 
and uh and Shelly and man it was like the lady already knew you know she had already read the package she'd already read all the articles she'd already read everything that I'd given her and uh she had already made up her mind you know so the the meeting happened on Wednesday Saturday now this is not normal okay Saturday I go to visit my wife tells me I'm coming home sooner than expected. That was the word that God gave sooner than expected. And I, that's when I said, God, I can expect a whole lot like before child, maybe, you know. And so Wednesday, they have the meeting, right? My my parole meeting was in July. This was in October. No, September. Wednesday, they have the meeting. Saturday, I go to visit and Shelly says, hey, you're coming home. And I'm like, I know I can't wait. You know, she goes, no, really? Like you got an F.I.? Like you got an FI one, and for those of y'all don't speak prison, that means <laughs> you coming home. That means yeah, you've gotten you know thirty days, you wow. know, and you're gonna be home. And so she says, so what does that mean, FI one? And I explain, well, that's thirty to forty five days. They you know do the processing, and I'm coming home. And uh, and she's like, well, no, this is this is sooner than expected. And because we had been holding on to sooner than expected, like before parole was available and she said no this is the sooner than expected and i'm like baby look it's gonna be 30 45 days i don't even want to tell nobody because everybody's gonna start asking me for my fans and stuff you know <laughs> i mean they, all that commissary right exactly <laughs> they're gonna be like man that's great hey look out let me get that radio before you and so i go when i get back from visitation i tell i tell four people right those are the, the four closest to me uh one was my painting mentor, you know, another one's very close friend. He painted with me. And then the guy that I had been discipling, you know, I told him. And so slowly but surely, I began to let it out a little more and more and start maybe moving some stuff around, you know, like, hey, I just want you to know in my will, I'm leaving this to you and you. And and this was Saturday. Well, they were getting... You know, the steps are they got to call the house, make sure everything's good. Monday, they get the call. I'm like, Monday? This was just Saturday that I just got the FI that, that, that I was being told. So that means Wednesday, they had the meeting. Friday, the FI showed up. Saturday, I got told. By Monday, they had already called the house to verify address. Wednesday night, one week after the meeting, I'm on chain. Boom. I'm gone. I mean, I'm on chain and I go to Huntsville and I sit there Thursday, Friday into the weekend. I get let out the next week. It's wow. crazy. I mean, it it was just sooner than expected. Sooner than expected. I mean, I kept saying 30 days. He had me home in two weeks. I didn't even know what to do with myself. Right. So then from there, everything happened really fast. And then it was like spinning a country I record backwards, right? Because you got it your was. house back, your dog back. All so, that. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's like for real. Though. So, so that's a, that's I, a great way to put it. I know that this blows him away every time. So, when when I knew I was signing for time, you know, we lived in a house that we had bought brand new. So we decided, look, let's go ahead and rent this out. We knew some people needed a home that you know, so they moved in. My dog. I had a husky at the time. My wife had a little chihuahua. My husky, we could not keep in the apartment. You know, he's just too big. And so we, a friend of ours who loved the dog, uh, had a friend who lived in Colorado. And so 
You know, she said, look, I would love to have the dog. So we gave him away. Okay. He went to Colorado and then he went to Washington. And then there was some other point where they were getting ready to move. And uh, Shelly had now moved out of the apartment. She was living in a house, not our home, but a house she was renting. And she saw on Facebook where the lady was saying, look, I'm, I'm moving to a place that will not allow my dog. Is there any anybody that would be willing to take him? You must have a good home. You must have. And Shelly said, what should I do? And I said, well, tell her we want him home, you know. Yeah. And so she did. She she messaged her and, and uh, the lady paid all the expenses. My dog was flown back home. It's a well-traveled dog. And, yeah. uh, you know, he just died this this past Friday. I saw that post. Sorry about broke, that. broke my heart, you know, 15 years old. But, but uh, he came home, you know, and it was like I, I began to see clearly God was saying, I will restore all that the locusts have eaten, all that, that you thought was lost. Can I get an amen up here? Yeah. Nice. And, uh, man. And so my, my dog was home. My son, my miracle birth was, was home. My wife, I tell you, the strongest woman I know, you know, and, and all the things that could be going on in this world, and she's holding it down for for me, you know, for eight years almost, you know. And so I get home and, uh, you know, the tenants that, that are now in the house. Wait, the before that, your job. Right. So now the guy that, that I had worked for previously doing, doing I won't say what because I don't want to tell nobody. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Uh, Real quick, just just a little bit on that. It's like whenever you own a truck, but yet, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, exactly. Like, hey, uh, you know, can I use your truck? It's that whole kind of thing. Yeah, it, so. it, it definitely is. I'm not telling anybody <laughs> what I do for a living. And <laughs> so, so he he called. He's been. He was one of the ones that was on the visitation list. Man, he's a good Christian man. I love him to death. Man, I always have great people. And uh, he said, "Look, man, as long as I'm open, you've got a job." So. He gave me a job back, and, uh, you know, the tenants got into a place where they said, look, we want to do our own home, and, and you're obviously not selling this one. So they moved out. We moved back in our home, and, and God has just begun to restore all that the locusts have, have eaten and, and, just, and then some. And just recently— he lost his license in this certain profession that he doesn't want to talk about. <laughs> you said if there was a topic we didn't want to, that's the topic. Okay? Well, uh, well, the Lord just restored. Actually, that is that is 100% correct. And uh, with the events that have transpired, I tried to get my license back, you know, jumping through the hoops. You know, I, I really was. And so with uh, with all the events that just transpired in, in February and, and March, uh the state issued an emergency deal and uh, they called me and said, Hey, we see that you've submitted for reexamination. We're going to go ahead and reinstate your license. Just pay this $40 fee. And I said, done. <laughs> and uh, I had my license reinstated immediately. And uh, that was super cool. Super cool. Yeah, man. Wow. It, what a story. It, it's, it, I know our listeners right now are like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like, you know, I and and I remember um, 
And my wife considers you her big brother. Yeah, yeah, know? I love and, her to death. And and it's whenever we got uh, we were dating and the whole marriage process and all that stuff. She was always talking about my big brother, my big brother, my big brother. And uh, we have a beautiful portrait that you painted whenever yeah. you were in jail. Um, uh, we have it hanging right there, right on our wall, uh, in our living room. And uh, it's, um, you know, I remember going to whenever you first got home, home, home. And uh, I didn't know what to expect because I've always heard it's like an urban legend. Right. Right? Yeah. It was like six foot six, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then you walk. And, you know, and then I'm, I'm really like Tom Cruise. And you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> Mission and, Impossible. Uh, I mean, like you said, there's so many, there's so many facets to, to to this story and how in this story, because whenever you were gone, that's whenever you stepped in, and there was also another another youth pastor in the interim there. But but you know, but we won't talk about him because who cares about him? But, <laughs> but I, I surely don't. I never met the guy. But uh, but anyway, and through all of that, you step in. Things happen there. I come shortly after, and and just so many different avenues and aspects on how God brings things together for His people, for His church, and how he, that promise of uh, that God is going to do a restoration in so many lives, in so many ways, using different people's testimonies. I'm just, you know, I, I'm listening to you talk about this, and and uh, and even though I wasn't directly involved yet, I. I'm still part of the story. You got adopted in somehow, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and and to hear all of this just really come out and um, yeah, it's 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 just wild because, uh, like you said, the media spun everything. Oh yeah, and and what my first interactions even with Elam Church was with the story. Yeah, and with what took place, and it's like, you know, who wants to go there? You know, they're they're harboring hard criminals. Yeah, right. You know, yeah, yeah, and and from the outside looking in, that's what the world would want you to see. Mm-hmm. You know, but I wholeheartedly believe that God's will for man, individually as well as corporately, is about restoration and mm-hmm. redemption. And and if you can't take the dirtiest of the dirty and clean it off. Then what what have you? And he's done that so many times over. He's done that, you know, in my life personally, and I know other people's lives, you know, and I, I you know, you were talking about your wife, you know, she she wrote me one time and she told me about this guy that. I don't know, I always asked, OK, you were vetted before you, you, you even know it, but uh so she she said something about this guy that said basically her testimony was of no validity because she hadn't gone through anything. Right? I mean that and and if you're out there listening, I have to say that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my <laughs> life. Because you don't need somebody to wreak havoc and destruction in other people's lives. And God to save that person for there to be a testimony. What about the person who, 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 you know, like James here, you know, James is a perfect example of being raised up in a good godly home. You know, when temptations have been presented to him, he has passed them by. I would rather carry that testimony. Right. 
and, mm-hmm. and, and be able to say the same, look what God has done, you know, versus telling people over and over and over again how terrible. Yeah, I have nothing to say. It's yeah. There's so much destruction in, that I have caused in my life before Christ, and it hurts, you know? I mean, if you're a genuine believer and you really care about people, there's no way that you can't look back at some of the things that you've done and 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 say, God, I'm so sorry. Yeah. You know, please touch those people where I have I have impacted their life negatively. God reach down and right. touch them and save them and show them what real restoration means in spite of all the destruction that I have sown. You know, and and I think that uh, there are people who do identify with that because they understand they lived in that same sin. They can't be the one to say, oh, well, I'm okay, you know. Yeah. So I understand the need for that. But I also understand that there is a point where you have strong men and strong women of God that have gone through the fire of temptation, that have gone through the fires of affliction and stood the test, you know, not because they are strong, but because God in them is strong. Yeah, in their weakest moment. That's right. Yeah. And and those testimonies are, to me, they're like the picture, you know. That's what we're all supposed to be shooting for, Yeah, you know. Yeah, seeing God's hand of uh, of restraint on somebody's life is right. is, is so beautiful, and um, you know, talking about talking about uh, you brought up the apostle the apostles earlier, and you you identified with uh, Peter in in certain areas, right? But as you're talking and all that, I you know, I think Paul, I think Paul so much because you look at the apostles' life, the apostle Paul's life. And and you almost see his pattern all the way up to Rome, especially when those last mission trips that he was taking yeah. to visiting churches. And you ask yourself, what was motivating this man? Of course, he had a love for for the Lord, but but I'm a man. You're a man. You you know what's going on. You 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 know what you think about. You know what what you regret. You know you can't change it. That's right. But 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 you know what you do regret. Paul was a man. That by his decree, by his sanction, good people died. Yeah, and and it wasn't just a haphazard thing. It was targeted people of the Lord. That's who he was going after. Yeah, and then I think about his journey and how he was so adamant from going to place to place, preaching himself to sleep almost. Uh, neurotic is the word that comes to my this was a man on a mission and some would say he was crazy at the frequency and how fast he was hitting life especially leading up to rome and i can't help but identify in some areas as well and just on what you just said because you think you know you're forgiven you know there's no more condemnation for you you know you've 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 paid the price before man, and you've you've answered to those things. You were, you were, you, you did what you needed to do as far as from a societal place. You 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 atoned for what you did. You turned yourself in. Justice was served. That's what they said, right? 
justice is served. You might have a difference of opinion, whatever, but you know that before God, you're forgiven. You did your due diligence before society. Society has done what they've needed to do. Now you stand as a uh, just an incredible monument of, 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 of dignity, integrity, strength, character. And uh, I just, you know, I, I just see God all over you and your family. And I, 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 I mean, Shelly, I'm sure that she's walking around with a cape every single day. That's an incredible woman. Yeah, yeah. she um, yeah, is. You know, and, and all that to say, all that to say, just to go back, going back on the Apostle Paul and all that, I, I, I just can't help but think that all the destruction and havoc that he raised in people's life, that yeah. he had a mission to say, I know I can't ever repay it, but I'm going to give right. it everything that I got. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. That's good. Hey man, I'm going for the record, man. Ten more minutes and we're in for three hours. Well, so listen, well. wow. listen, <laughs> this was a, a highlight, a three-hour highlight of the yeah. story. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We could have yeah. yeah. went on a long time. A long time. Yeah, we're going to send this over to Netflix because if we give it to Pure Flix, well, then they'll just make a wreck out of it. They'll put some low-budget some yeah. actors on it or whatever. <laughs> hey, hey, brother Calvin, man, I love you, man. You love know you that guys, you're, 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 you're my... You're my boy, you know, and uh, I look up to you. Um, you're one of my heroes in life, and uh, thank you so much for taking the time and giving us the opportunity to ask the questions that you haven't shared before and, and really just been able to spill your life out here on the Refuge Project. I know that's going to reach the ears all over the world um, and help somebody out there. So thank yeah. you for spending some awesome. time with us. Love you guys, man, I more than I can tell you. I want to ch- challenge Appreciate our listeners, too, as well. This is an episode. I mean, we have a lot of a lot of great episodes. But I'm telling you, this is an episode you need to share it. You need to share it on your social media pages. You need to go out there if you're one of these, uh, you know, older uh, listeners and don't know how to do that. Ask your grandson. Ask your granddaughter. Share this story. People need to hear it. Awesome, awesome. All right, we love you. Refuge Project.